Hello everyone and welcome to On The Rocks with Y Yoga. And today we're going to talk about rise and fall and with us on the rocks in the Y Yoga studio we have Colin. Hello everybody. We have Robbie. Hey everyone. We have Monica. Hello. And um, from Paris via Zoom we have Tuesday. So today we're going to talk about rise and fall, up and down, maybe even good and bad. Certainly, we're implying cycles. And the way this is going to work today, we have some questions and we're going to explore the topic by trying to answer the questions. And we're going to open with you Tuesday. From your perspective, what do you think failure is and what is success? In my perspective, I think failure and success are measured by the individual and how they were molded to regard their personal achievements and, of course, how they were reared or raised in an environment that offers rewards and risks and also penalties. Therefore, success and failure is really measured by the individual and how they perceive their environment themselves and then both in one frame. So it's very difficult to measure that on a global scale because there are so many views and environments and humans. Is that how you personally measure success? Do you, if you receive a reward, do you perceive that you have succeeded somewhere? When you are met with a penalty, do you naturally then presume that you have failed? Is there always a connection between reward, penalty, success and failure? It is how I personally regard success or failure, it comes from the root of what I am looking for or looking to achieve in life. Ultimately, every person, of course, they draw from their history or what they learn from their parents or their ancestors or their teachers and gurus as to what their goals that have been set for them. Personally, it's very hard to put a tangible or quantifiable measure on what is success for me. That's just a personal level. It's something more abstract, like my feelings and personal disappointments. On the surface, of course, I say something more superficial, like money, especially food, cakes, and things like that. But internally, and most people who know me intimately, it's very much about good feeling. And cake can bring good feelings. Have your ideas of success and failure changed as you have grown as a yogi and through your teaching as a yoga teacher? Do you see success and failure differently now than you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Oh, naturally, naturally, because these views are, are formed by experience. I mean, as a child, prior to discovering yoga, what my parents expected of me were, try this. One parent might expect higher scores in academia. Actually, my father always expected kindness from me. There was a measurement of academia in my family, very famously in my family. My older siblings are all achieved in school and scholars, and I never did. And I remember apologizing in advance to my father or asking him to apologize to my mother in advance if he was disappointed by my marks and my scores in school. And I love saying this. I love telling this story because it adds so much personal value. He did reflect and he said, every year the Lord gave us child after child after child. And with each child, 
the brain was larger and more complex. And then came you. You're not very smart, but you're the kindest of all my children. And this is something I hold valuable. It's not, and I'm not always kind, but I will always remember that one person in my family regarded me as the top in some category, which is kindness. Monica, would you count yourself as a success? Partially, depends. I have to say one thing. I think I'm not the kind of person that says, uh, oh, I'm so good at this, I'm so good at that, or I, I'm very good at telling what am I not good at. I don't have eye for detail. I mess up the schedule every time I put my hands on it. I create links that don't exist, and the link that should exist, they don't appear. So th th there are so many things that I do not pay enough attention to it. So I'm very good at telling myself, I'm not good at doing this. And as Tuesday said, I'm not good in math. I'm not good at this. I'm, but I would never say I'm, um, I'm very good at something. I, I can say for sure that I put effort. I work on it. And, and some people will find me successful in what I do. Some other will not, which is obviously normal. I, I cannot even say that I'm good at yoga. I, I can say that I'm doing my best to improve every time. But I can say that I'm happy with what I can do. A lot of us equate happiness with success. Does that mean that we're going to be sad when we're unsuccessful? Probably. I think we formatted to believe that as we face failure, it's going to bring some unhappiness or sadness into us and i think it's it's precisely i think a little bit like what tuesday said i think we are influenced by the society there is as many idea of success and failures as the individuals but of course but i think we all have base that's common to all of us and indeed it's probably also related to this idea of reward and penalties that that, that she talked about and of course with penalties come probably a little bit of sadness and with rewards some happiness and that that how do you say that that form test that's really give us this um this pattern the sadness is a natural feeling but as long as you don't sink into that feeling of sadness but you use that sort of sadness or whatever it is that you feel to to move forward you know to make a step forward it's very interesting that you talk about rewards and penalties yeah and sadness and happiness and um, but nobody's mentioned karma yet this is going to be a hard question so is there a connection between karma and the rewards and penalties that we might receive thinking that they are part of success or failure tuesday so before we continue i don't know if that i was quick to label because I think penalty is quite harsh and um, it has a more kind of finality to it. Penalty, you, you get the punishment and it's done. It's more like a disappointment that you can turn around. And some of them are much larger than others, of course. And then karma, as I, oh, it depends how people work out karma. There are always those postcards that say karma's going to get you or <laughs> karma's listening. Be careful what you do. Karma's watching. And, uh, from how I understood it, it's not, there's not a finality where this happens here, that happens 10 minutes later. I mean, there are things we're learning here. And for some people, some cultures, not always everybody, they think there's another incarnation of themselves where they have to continue to learn a lesson. And they may regard that as a penalty. 
And some other soul somewhere might regard that as an honor to continue their study, to continue their enrichment. So again, it comes down to the individual. Globally right now, with so many contrasting and contradicting feelings and beliefs kind of coming up into everyone's purview because we have internet, we have faster news, you realize that there are so many people, so many individuals, so many parents or non-parents and step-parents that have molded all the people who are influencing the tides of beliefs today. That's when you become more aware. For some yogis, this is an aspect of a yogi. For some yogis, it's a wonderful thing to realize there's consciousness and it's waking up or it's reaching out. And there you're all of a sudden starting to view people that you never thought you would even think about that existed in the same country or in the same planet as you. There are people that don't care about the environment and you have to know it. You can't just say, I don't want to know you. You can't just say that because we all end up in some way or another, either disappointed at one point and feeling great or rewarded at the other. I liked your use of penalty because um, penalty isn't necessarily um, a punishment. You know, it's a process that you have to go through. A, a rule has been broken or something has happened. And in order to compensate for that, the, the other side gets to kick their ball at the goal. I never thought I would be using a soccer analogy ever in my life. Or let's say, you know, you you park your car in the wrong place and you have to pay 50 euros. Or what's happened to me is you drive your car faster than 120 kilometers an hour and you have to pay a penalty. It's called a penalty. Um, so it's not, you know, you could see it as a punishment, but it, it's just sort of like a natural working out of you. It In some ways, I see penalty as easier to see that you've done something wrong because it it's certain it seems more solid than the rewards for being good and i think also as yogis we often know that the rewards for being good aren't there karma isn't instant right no, yeah, of course. <clears throat> no 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 karma is not instant it's like the law of cause and effect in buddhism uh, you may plant a seed today you may do an action today and then you see the effect in 10 years It's that hence the importance of always being present and always being aware of what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're thinking, because it will have an effect in, in, in the time. And that could have an immediate effect or a delayed effect. And I guess also that does work out for the penalties as well, right? Sometimes we don't understand the penalties or we don't receive the penalties until much later. So spend a lifetime smoking cigarettes After each cigarette, there won't necessarily be a penalty, but at some point you will pay a penalty. So we have an idea of, of these things that are loosely connected. Success and failure, it's all about what we think about ourselves. It's all about where we come from, the culture that we're in. It's all about the values that our families have given us. And it's all about the values that we have learned on the way. How should we evaluate success or indeed failure on a spiritual path? I think it's a very tricky question because the question already itself somehow implies that there's success or failure on the spiritual path. And these are just, to me, human categories, success, failure. Of course, we can talk about success, failure in the spiritual path, but it's also nice to approach and also know like what kind of practice you do 
are you doing now physical practice? Are we talking about physical practice when it comes to yoga, for example? Is it about the more mental practice? Let's say you do meditation, reflection, or it's a combination of everything. And again, the success, the way I see success for me, it might be very different from your success. So success, failure, I think these are all very individual labels, categories. My success might be your failure, right? Somehow we can think about measuring it. But for me, it's, it's more about trying to define, okay, now we're talking about the spiritual practice and within that spiritual practice, we'll talk about the Hatha yoga practice or physical practice, right? It's easy to measure, let's say you show up every day, you do the physical practice, with time you get flexible, you get strong, you'll be able to touch your toes, you'll be able to hold the posture a bit longer, right? You'll be able to do inversions, handstand, you're trying to work towards more intermediate advanced postures and with time, you learn all these postures. So yeah, you could see that you grew stronger, you're stronger, you're more flexible. You can pay attention to more subtle details. You can pay attention to key actions that you learn, let's say in a foundation level classes. So of course you can see that from, let's say one year ago, now I can do this. So that's clear that, okay, we made some progress and you can say that it's a success. But again, on the outside, are you more successful because you can do a handstand? You know, we can always argue that it might be beautiful on Instagram seeing someone doing a handstand on the beach with a beautiful body, but we never really know what's going on on the inside, right? And I think that takes us to the next level, like on that more subtle level, what is success? Is it really a big success if I sit down every day to meditate five minutes or it should be five, 15 minutes, an hour? You know, of course, we can say it's, it's nice to meditate, but again, meditation will not necessarily turn you into a nice human being. I think we need to do much more than that. And maybe that brings me to that next topic that did you become maybe a new person? And I think all the spiritual practice somehow embrace change. They invite um, transformation. That means with time, some of the beliefs that we had early on, they're somehow replaced by some new qualities, maybe behaviors, attitudes, and in a way you transformed into something, something else, something new, right? You have qualities that maybe you didn't have a year ago. You have more patience, more kindness, more compassion. You have more courage. Maybe you have more gratitude, maybe less violent in terms of words, actions, self-talk, self-criticism. So I think these are all, um, we could say, tangible categories we can talk about, qualities that you develop with the spiritual practice. And to me, I think it's more, more of a sign if you want to talk about success, yes, that you, you, you're a nicer, kinder, more compassionate and loving person. If we look at that from the other direction, I think we can say that if you want to meditate, if you promise yourself you're going to meditate even for five minutes a day and you don't, that is a failure. Now, how you deal with that maybe is another conversation. The questions that we've asked have, have focused on success and failure when we're looking at rise and fall and maybe um, being able to practice and gaining the benefits that you said from practice is part of a rise Maybe we leave success to one side for the moment and start talking about the, the rise rather than the fall. I also want to bring in happiness because, you know, we equated success with happiness. 
Um, but I also equate the things that you describe in developing your spiritual practice and in developing your asana practice. It does bring <clears throat> happiness in my experience, which again, maybe we shouldn't see that as, as a success, but it is part of the rise, let's say. I wanted to also maybe point out that maybe it's also instead of talking about success, it's also maybe changing our view on failure. And maybe it's just being about being able to see failure as a potential success. When we fail somewhere, it means that we try, that we were bold enough to try something. That was it might be a fall at that time, but what we will learn with that is gonna be different. If to do a headstand to take Roby's example to do a handstand, you need to fail so many times at some point that you can succeed in that headstand or that handstand. And so that's part of the process. That's that's part of this those rise and falls. And if we stop because I think we will live more and more in society which is binary and that's why we come back to the reward and penalty. We are like we are successful or we are a failure. If we could see the things a little bit more in between that success is not the ultimate goal that a failure is just a way on success and that if we could balance that a little bit more i think we would bring more happiness so that's why i think we'll we we tote that success equal happiness but at the end of the day if we could shift our vision our perspective we could find happiness in even in failure that we were bold enough to do things to take a risk to be ready for a failure one last thought about um success And it's more of a personal sharing personal story and i think we all have trigger points some some areas in your life that might be sensitive to it it can be as small as you know the toilet seat you know if you live with someone never let's say closes the toilet lid right or let's say you wake up in the morning and you leave a messy bed and your partner is triggered by that so we all know that we have these trigger points and and i think you could see that maybe with time you're less affected by those trigger points by some of the things you're more like okay actually it doesn't bother me anymore or maybe the best example is that um, family can of course trigger a lot of um, things in us let's say you go back home spend spend one week one weekend with your family and see see how you um, survive that weekend right and do that every month, do that every year. You go back for holidays and, and, and you see how you can, um, I can live with those triggers every day, right? And I think that might show you that if you're less affected by those actions, some of the things that you experienced and maybe annoyed you, annoyed you in the past, challenged you in the past, but you're less affected by that, I think somehow it shows that something shifted in you. Something has transformed. Mm -hmm you're less affected and, and you're a new person. When I think about saints' lives that I've studied, I haven't yet studied the lives of rishis and um, acharya, guru, swami. When you read about these lives, what you read about actually is not a continued rise from spiritual ignorance to achieving enlightenment with no, with no trouble in the way. Usually those stories are a story of a little bit of rise and quite a lot of fall, which brings us to, you know, what are the obstacles on a spiritual path that we should be aware of and that would maybe take us down instead of up? Obstacles, as we said until now, they're part of uh, our growth, part of our life and everything. And we have to accept it as much as we accept happiness and rise. 
So recently I've spent some time reading about the glaciers and they're really important to me because for the first time, I guess, I really spend time in understanding them and to visualize them in my daily life. And I think they summarize perfectly the obstacles that we may encounter into our journey towards uh, um, towards enlightenment or towards uh, self-knowledge. Now, I'm not going to... S- going to talk about them really deeply but one of them for instance is uh, avidya which is lack of knowledge but not not knowledge considered as i need to know all the sutras or i need to know the bhagavad gita by heart or i need to know i need to read all the books about yoga there are there it's a knowledge of understanding your divinity the power of your own self not accepting and not understanding that you are as divine as a god it puts you in uh, in a position of minority in a way it puts you in a position of uh, like down the hill you know upward there is another one that i have experienced recently which is raga and raga is a strong attachment to past pleasures we can all relate to that. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that right now because we all think last year was so awesome simply because we could go out. And that is uh, as an is an obstacle because it stops you from being present into the moment and to understanding that there is actually happiness even in these conditions, even in this state, even now what we leave if we only are able to stay focused into the present, we can reach a state of happiness and so move on and and move on these obstacles. So there is also, uh, there are people that are so much attached for, in, attached, for instance, to traumas and they bring the traumas in their daily life, in their present life. They keep on saying, oh, I'm like this because I was traumatized 30 years ago, uh, 20 years ago. And this is another klesha. And then there is the klesha of not accepting time not accepting time that goes by. So um, this week I was told I have a condition that is developing as a consequence of uh, diabetes, of being diabetic for 30 years. My eyes are starting to show some sign of um, complications. And for a moment I felt desperate. I was really desperate. But then when you think about it, okay, this is, this cannot be, this feeling cannot be an obstacle's for my spiritual growth. I, I will not allow this uh, setback to, you know, to plunge me into desperation because I'm so attached to my youth and to my body and to my, to, to how I am today uh, that I don't want it to decline. But in fact, understanding that the body is just a, a wrapping, it's, it's an external, it's a box in which you have chosen to got into, you know, understanding that <laughs> is, uh, is a way that actually moves you forward. You accept that the body deteriorates full stop. Now, I, I was expecting that to happen like 60, 70 years old. Not now, but uh, this is how life it is. Thank you for sharing a very personal story. What I want to acknowledge and recognize in that story, apart from the meaning that you gave it, Monica, who has been a yoga teacher for 11 years, she fell, you know, there was a small fall. And the point about this conversation is that not that you won't fall when you become a spiritual giant, you will fall. But somehow, 
inside you with your practice, you had the strength to be able to get up, to rise. And I think that that's a very interesting point. Becoming better yogis isn't going to mean that we don't have trouble in life. It means that we're perhaps going to be more able to deal with the trouble in life. Uh, I wanted to connect what they were saying, both what Ravi was saying and what Monica was explaining, even a little bit what uh, Colin was saying. Um, when Ravi was explaining failure, success, and things that you might expect to be stronger at doing and then later realize you're not stronger at doing that. When you first come to your mat, you have this concept of what yoga looks like just based on social media and what the culture has fed into your into your body or offered your mind and your concept. And you realize you step on the mat and you think it's going to be no big deal. I take a nap at the end. I don't have to wear shoes. And I just do a little thing like this. Who, who doesn't want to sit in a chair? Then they get into that. because And I will make a generalization, but there were people I met in the past who were men who could lift 300 pounds above their head. And they say, oh, that's no big deal. We're not going to use weights. No problem. I'll come. And then they show up and you put them in an ukatasana and they can't even inhale and exhale just for <laughs> three seconds. And they're thinking, this is, this is not a joke. And then they start saying, then they realize even if they don't know it, they're coming to a deeper layer of their own knowledge and they're touching on their ignorance and they're, they're kind of changing it a little bit. And then that same person starts to say, I, I personally know I, my, my mother was the person. She was 80 years old when she first came to the mat and she, she fought it at first, but the, and it was difficult. It was challenging. It was a hot yoga practice was her first experience. And then for some reason she came home and the very next morning she she woke up with this kind of question in her mind and in her heart that says, okay, I didn't do it yesterday, but I'd like to see if I can do it today. And then there's a whole other tipping point or a whole other level or layer of knowledge or a, a thinning of your ignorance. And what to say when Robbie was explaining how you might want to do advanced poses and in correlation with being a yogi, you realize that you're stick by which you measure your success is going to change because your ignorance either thickens or thins throughout the process. Therefore, there's no final failure. There's only a new perspective each time you step onto your mat, each time. And some days you want to concentrate on, okay, I'm going to hold my chair. But then there are other days where I want to breathe more deeply, which is a completely other step. But even a person making that discernment is already exhibiting to themselves that they are advancing and they're not even realizing it. So there are all those things. It's kind of like you saw a person last time before lockdown and you see them again and they've eaten half their sofa and they balloon to something different. And, but if you were the person living with them, you weren't seeing this process happen. And so the, your consciousness, your awareness of what's happening to you, to your environment, even to your yoga mat you're deepening yourself without even the realization. It's the only other thing I can compare to that is a yoga nidra practice because the nidra takes you to the point between sleep and not. But the moment you say, I'm at that point, you're out of it. And so you realize that the more you step onto your mat, the more you are actually changing, even if you're doing the same thing every day. 
And there is no complete final failure because you find a complete new angle to enter this challenge or this mat or this pose. It's wonderful to hear that there's no final failure, but then that must also mean that there's no final success. Um, <laughs> but that's that's not bad. You want to reply to that, Robbie? <laughs> I think there's all beautiful thoughts that you shared with us. It's great. Thank you. It's more about the failure, like can we really fail? And I think it's as most of us teach yoga. And, and, and I think once you step on this path of becoming a teacher, I think we can still fall. And, and I think we heard so many stories and, you know, we could talk about abuse. We could talk about all these controversies in the yoga world, right? When you have that power to build a school, a style, somehow, hopefully not, but, you know, we learned that with time, some of these masters, basically what they develop is not just a massive ego. And I think we're all being tested as teachers as students and, and and i think if you abuse that power meaning you take advantage of others in my eyes that's a failure if you abuse weak people if you take their money to me it's a failure i think we've seen this a lot in the, in the yoga world and um, i think it's very sad but to me that that's a massive failure if someone uh, abuses weak people 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 who are not educated and and, and just trying to sell spirituality as as basically just a, a money making um, basically tool, that's uh, it's not right for me. And um, let's also acknowledge that that the strong minded can also be deceived and can also be taken advantage of. One of the things we are doing with this podcast is that we are providing you with resources to look at your spiritual journey, to practice some of the other eight limbs of yoga, not just the asana um, and meditation and pranayama um, that you might get at the studio. So now we're going to turn to Colin to tell us about teachings from the sutras. And I think Monica already introduced it with, uh, with talking about the kleshas. And, and in regards of this idea of the rise and the fall, the successes and failure, um, one of the kleshas that Monica didn't talk about it is asmita, which is our ego and she talked about the, the likes and dislikes, the thing that we might be attached to or that we might reject. But all, all this feed our ego and successes and failure can feed our ego in a way that we start to develop a false identity or a false image of ourselves. And we might identify with our failure. We might think I'm a failure because I couldn't do this. I, I'm, I'm too weak because I can't do that. And on the, the other hand, goes also, so as Roby mentioned also, some people go the other ways. They believe that because they start to have success, their ego can take it all over the place and, and they have all the rights and therefore they, they start to do things that probably are questionable. And that we come back to what uh, how we open open this conversation with what Tuesday said, that successes and failure as a are a personal thing. Probably for those people, it's still a success despite what they do which might be considered mm -hmm. as a failure for others. But the teaching in the sutras is this idea that we, as we progress in our practice, we hopefully are able to discern, to see more clearly what is really ourselves and what is what we do and what what we do, yeah, the difference between what we do and what we are. And that different two different things and that it doesn't give us any extra rights or any extra burden because we, we can or cannot do some things because we we can achieve or because we failed or we succeeded. 
in other things. So that's one of the the aspect of the of the glaciers. Also, those obstacles that we can think about that like we can we can learn in the in the sutras. Tuesday, we're going to move back to you. Um, I wonder if you've been given this question to answer because of your cultural background coming from the United States. What is failing forward? Can we take something good from failure? Can we take failure and turn it into something more positive? Always, there's a chance. If even if you cannot change circumstances, the fact that you learn something of yourself and of your environment, and you realize where you may have fallen short, it's already a success in that you're you're learning this lesson. It's almost like a baby learns to touch a hot oven only once. And they, they're not going to come back. There are some that like to try it over and over. And they're going to keep learning about themselves that, yeah, that thing is hot. And yes, I kind of like that feeling. <laughs> but they're going to come over and over. As my background and as I'm in, an American and I live in America, we are dealing with our historic sins. And they're coming up in our current and present lives in almost every aspect not just in our economy, in our actual government. And it actually boils down to the way people treat each other. And even personally, there are people who, I'm from San Francisco, and people look at me and they are so amazed that I can speak English very well. And that's a positive experience. And there are several other negative ones. And as far as the ego is concerned, I do regard in some sense, I think, oh, this person hasn't learned or this person hasn't seen. And unfortunately, I'm not always in the position to share what they can see and what they can't because some of them are not open to hearing anything. So not every single failure is an absolute end failure. And even kind of what Colin said or referred to saying regarding the, the ego that take over that Robbie mentioned, it's true. It's, it's a terrible failure for us all when someone takes advantage of a weaker, but that person who is taking advantage, their measurement of their personal success is being achieved. Otherwise they wouldn't continue to pursue that route of behavior. So for them, they have a success. And then for anyone else who's even been touched by their abuse or touched by their selfishness, it's almost a lesson and it's a success for anybody that they meet in the future because their behavior towards them will inf influence by that experience. So Robbie, is there something from yoga teachings or maybe some other um, teachings that you know that can help us to make peace with this continuous circle of rise and fall? I'm really in love with the teachings of Ayurveda. And I think it's something that hopefully one day we all discover. It might take some time, but with time, it's, it's just something that I think it's a must for everyone to understand, have a better understanding of this universe we live in. And we see that actually there's, a, of course, a universe within our body physical body but also it's there's an infinite universe beyond the physical body and basically these two universes are always connected and if you understand the building blocks of this universe now i'm talking about ayurveda the building building blocks the elements that really define the visible and non-visible universe then we begin to see patterns we begin to see cycles that everything is moving the only thing that is 
certain in life is is change that's the only constant in life change everything is changing and whether you're not but there's going to be a moment in your life you need to make peace with that and i think yoga any spiritual practice that embraces change is going to be helpful for you of course we need a committed practice either you show up every day you do the work you practice shavasana we talked about that and i think beyond that of course a mental practice is mindfulness these days are so I don't say fashionable, doing a mindfulness training. Yeah, so go go for it. Get some mindfulness books. I'm really drawn to, actually it's more Colin, who drawn to Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine is also great. But I really love within that Chinese realm, the uh, book of changes, Yi Ching. And it also teaches us that everything in this universe is changing, moving all the time, that we can we can just reach out, use this book if we're ever lost. If you need guidance, and 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 of course, not only the Yiching, but also other um, great books, um, sources out there. We talked about the sutras, Bhagavad Gita, the teachings of Buddha, uh, Upanishads. They're beautiful stories that we can always use. And and for me, that's more like a personal thing. It's it's for me maybe the biggest teacher was nature, being out there in the forest, in the woods, walking, taking a walk, um, just simply observing nature, seeing seasons how they changed and, and learning from the elements because um, they, they use a very different language. They use um, not a human language. They, they're somehow deeper. And I think it's, 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 it's a really ancient teacher. And I think it's, uh, it, it's important that we, we, we nourish that connection. Just a little comment on your, okay, so mindfulness is fashionable. You know, I'm not really worried about that. And isn't the end purpose of what you're all doing is to spread more light in the world? And if something is fashionable, it also means that it's popular, it's being practiced by a lot of people. And that's a good thing. Now, you know, that can also mean that sort of somehow it's being degraded, or it's not as good because everybody is doing it. And I think maybe we need to move away from there a little bit, because I don't know about you, but for me, you know, I would love the whole world to be doing yoga. I would love the whole world to have some kind of mindfulness practice, even if it is you using your meditation app every day. If everyone was doing that, it would actually be fantastic. Let's pause for a moment and, and, and see where have we come to in this conversation. So what have we come to? Rise and fall is natural we may see ourselves as rising because we get rewards or falling because we get penalties. But, you know, there's no final end game. There's no final success and there's no final failure. In our spiritual path, we're going to fall many times in order to rise because that is the way that we are going to learn. And, you know, the spiritual path is not just going to be a trajectory that's straight up. And what we've also learned, I think Robbie touched on, is that you're not going to imagine your way to a better spiritual life and to a life which is uh, rolling forward and rising gradually if you don't put in the work. You need a regular practice, you need to meditate, and so on. Monica, we turn to you, wise woman, to tell us, can we get beyond the ideas of success and failure? And what is there beyond success and failure? Beyond there is life. Life is beyond uh, success and life is beyond failure. It's really all about uh, being aware, being present, 
I think it, it also is important knowing where you want to go with your spiritual growth. Some people will do yoga all of their life just because it's a physical practice and it's nice to stretch and they don't go beyond that. Although it's true also that if you are a little bit consistent in the yoga practice, just the asana, then you get to want to know a little bit more. Beyond all this failure, beyond all the successes, is life, is moving forward, is wanting, trying to achieve uh, your spiritual goal, which might be different for each one of us. But if I bounce back on what Ruby said and what you're saying, at the end of the day, he made the metaphor, or used the metaphor of nature. And if you think about it, a tree in a forest at some point will die and we can see it as a success. But once it's on the floor, it's going to bring life again. It's going to help the whole thing to come back. It's going to allow other people. It's going to create space for other things to come, for insects to come some more, feeding the ground. And that's a success on its own. So it also makes a table. And it makes table and chairs. <laughs> And I liked your answer, you know, like what, what is beyond success and failure? Actually, life, yeah, I, I see that answer. If you stop worrying so much about whether you're successful or whether you're failing, then you will go out and live life. You kind of got the impression from your comments Tuesday at the beginning that, you know, if you, if you worry too much about being a success or, or a failure as perceived by your family or your culture or whatever, you might end up missing the rest of your life because you're very focused on that. Are there simple tips for standing up after failure? How do we get back up? How do we get back up? Probably um, one of the simple tips that I could think of is just to sit down and think and reflect on what just happened and what we see as a failure to see if we can change our perspective. So that's probably one of the first tips I would think of. Yeah, to probably um, analyze the feeling take time for ourselves, maybe practicing, but taking any measures that we need to give ourselves enough time to be able to bounce back. Failure at the end of the day is just a moment when we've been thrown out of a comfort zone. It's it's a place we don't like to be, and it's just giving ourselves a time to be able to bounce back and to find, find resilience, which is one of the topics we're going to talk about in the next session also. Great. I'm looking forward to learning how to be more resilient. There was one thing that I wanted to add. You tell us, sit down, think about it, do what we have to do um, to be able to stand back up again. I want to go right back to the beginning and say that Tuesday equated success with having cake. I don't see a problem with having cake after failure, if that's what's going to help you get back up again. Literature is full of stories about rise and fall. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that I think I've learned today is that as well as my asana practice and meditation, setting aside some time to reflect and to read is also going to help us to be more resilient in terms of getting back up again when we've fallen. I think these are all great advices, tips. But there, I, I believe that there are moments in your life when you so feel feel so powerless that even if you have a lot of free time, maybe just you don't have the car, you don't have the strength to sit down and read, right? Sometimes all what you have to do is to go out, you know, again, connect with nature, um, be with your friends, find your tribe, talk to someone. And, and sometimes, especially us yogis, we're sometimes too strict with ourselves. We think that after 10, 20, 30 years of spiritual practice, we should know the answers. 
but I think we also need to ask for help. If that means another teacher, your teacher, a mentor, a therapist, reach out, ask for help. I think we all need help. Just simply talk about it. We need to, to let that energy flow through us. And the best way to do that is to connect with others. We meant to connect, we meant to share, we meant to be with others. You can't find all the answers on your own. And I think after that, everything feels lighter, right? I think that's a great place to start. Get help, whether that's from a person, a book, <laughs> or a dog, or a dog. Help is all around, get help. It's been wonderful to talk to all of you this afternoon. I have learned something. I hope you listening at home have learned something. Let's say goodbye to Tuesday in Paris. You have Bye. to- Bye. Colin. Bye everyone. Robbie. Bye everyone. Monica. Bye everyone. Uh, you can hear from us again in one week when we will talk about- Resilience. Great, thank you. <laughs>